Hey, really quick before we start the podcast, if you're a returning listener, we would ask that you would do us a favor and rate and review the show. We are not big at asking these things, but we're really working hard to get our podcast in the top of the health and nutrition category, not just the top 100. And I think this takes less than a minute to drop that rating and review. So if you could do that, we would really appreciate it and love you for a really long time. All right, guys, let's dive in and start the show. You hear all the bull about diet and exercise. Carbs are evil. Do more cardio. Never eat bread or cookies again. Just do a juice cleanse. We get it. We fell for all the BS too. It's time to go right to the source with the truth about how to live a healthy, sustainable lifestyle. I am Liz. And I'm Becca. We are your nutrition educators and this is The Food Code. Happy Wednesday, everyone. Welcome to the Food Code. Ooh, what a week. I feel like I love long weekends, but I also dislike them because then it pushes everything from Monday to the rest of the week in terms of like scheduling. And it's just a lot. Yeah. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday this week are jam-packed for us. So Mm -hmm. I agree. I I have zero time. (laughs) Yes. But, you know, we did get some work done yesterday, um, you know, so that was good. But yeah. All right. Well, we are back with part two. We are talking about stomach acid again. This is going to be three, maybe four parts uh, in total. Mm-hmm. And today we're going to talk about what causes heartburn and you know some of the side effects of low stomach acid. We talked about you know Monday's podcast was all about digestion uh, 101 and the importance of stomach acid and the fact that for most people, heartburn, GERD, acid reflux, all of these are due to low stomach acid and not actually too much. Um, and so even though that's popular in the media still, and that's pretty much what the public, uh, you know, general population believes that's not what the scientific literature, uh, and I would say applicable, like in-person, you know, application of what we do with our clients tells us. Um, and so that's what I want to talk about today um, because GERD is, it's caused by a dysfunction of the muscular valve, our sphincter that separates the lower end of your esophagus and the stomachs. So we talked about again on Monday, digestion 101, what happens in the stomach, but we call this the less, the lower esophageal valve. Um, and that is something that opens and closes uh, when we are swallowing food, we're consuming foods, we're drinking liquids to allow these substances to enter into the stomach. Except for when you belch, uh, that's the only time that the uh, less should open other than when you're swallowing. And so the heartburn and the acid reflux sensation that we feel is because of the less opening uh, when it shouldn't be. So it's not working properly. And it really does not matter how much stomach acid you have uh, because any amount that gets up into your esophagus is going to burn. I mean, your stomach is the only place that should be, you know, that acid should be very acidic essentially. Um, And so if this, you know, less that lower esophageal sphincter malfunctions, that is when, you know, damage is done and you feel that burning sensation in your esophagus. Mm -hmm. And like we talked about on the last podcast episode, the pH balance within that stomach, you want 
very, very low, meaning very acidic. Um, I believe it was 0.8 is where you want it at. And over time, stress, poor food quality, you know, exposure to toxins, all of these different things start to raise the pH level in the stomach. PPIs raise it to above five because of this incorrect belief that it is because we have too much stomach acid. Um, it is not the case. It is our pH balance in the stomach has actually gotten to a poor place. And then we become kind of a weakened host for the bacteria that we consume on food and all of these different things that then get through to other parts of the digestive system. And so the main point, like Liz was saying, is that the reason that acid reflux is so painful is because a, a big part of our stomach acid too, we need that stomach acid to keep that less closed. We need stomach acid to keep that muscle basically shut other than when food's going through it. Um, so when you get to low stomach acid levels, you can also see it opening more frequently and then people ending up with indigestion, acid reflux, and it's very painful. So the main thing is, you know, we've been asking the wrong question. So in an editorial published in the Journal of Gastroenterology, the author marked treating gastroesophageal reflux disease or GERD with profound acid inhibition will never be ideal because acid secretion is not the primary underlying defect. So the ability to create acid is not the main issue. For decades, the medical establishment has been directing its attention to how to reduce stomach acid secretion in people suffering from heartburn or GERD. Even though it's well known that these conditions are not caused by excess stomach acid, instead, the question researchers should have been asking, what is causing this low, lower esophageal sphincter to malfunction? It's universally agreed upon that this is the underlying mechanism produced and producing the symptoms of GERD. So we're going to focus on that here today and cover some important information about how to, you know, work on keeping that in a healthy place so that you are not experiencing these, you know, acid reflux symptoms. So GERD is actually in, caused by an increased intra-abdominal pressure. It is well accepted in the literature that GERD has, you know, caused or is caused by this. Um, acid reflux occurs when pressure causes gastric distension. So stomach bloating, a lot of people can relate to that type of feeling. And that pushes the stomach contents, including acid, through that lower esophageal sphincter into the esophagus. According to current thought, factors contributing to this could be overeating, obesity, bending over after eating. That's why a lot of people say that like lying down can help with this or um, lying down or, you know, going into different positions can be uncomfortable. Um, like going to bed after you eat can cause this a lot of times for people and consuming spicier fatty foods. So for example, several studies have indicated an association between obesity and GERD. And one paper in gastroenterology con concluded that increased intra-abdominal pressure was the causative mechanism for this. All of these are factors that play a role. So we need to also talk about some primary causes of increased intra-abdominal pressure. Yes. And some side effects of these things. And so there's a really great book. Um, it's called Heartburn Cured. It's a microbiologist, Dr. Norm um, Robillard, that argues that carbohydrate malabsorption leads to bacterial overgrowth, resulting in this intra-abdominal pressure, which drives reflux. So he made a really strong case that we're going to dive in today, talking about malabsorption of carbohydrates and how that plays a role with this pressure. But the question is, what might cause carbohydrate malabsorption in the first place? Are there any other causes of bacterial overgrowth that may precede carbohydrate malabsorption? 
And so the one answer to both of these questions, as we've been talking about uh, in the last episode and already today, is low stomach acid, because stomach acid is responsible for helping you break down and digest um, protein, carbs, and fats. And if we don't have enough there, we're essentially, you know, not digesting our food properly. And, you know, this will also contribute to allowing pathogens to survive if the acidic environment is not where it should be. So we talked about that on Monday, but we'll, you know, just give you guys a bit of a recap here that when your stomach acid levels are low, bacteria survive. So here we're talking about, you know, infections, parasites, um, bacteria that enters into the digestive tract. So at a pH of three or less, which is the normal acidity level of the stomach, most bacteria cannot survive for more than 15 minutes. But again, if we're taking PPIs or our stomach acid level is low or insufficient and that uh, BH rises above five, bacteria will set up camp. They will begin to thrive. It's a nice, dark, warm, cozy home in there. They get a lot of food to feed off of, sugars that come in, and they're happy. Um, and so this is really one of the biggest things that we see in our practice, especially when we're looking at gut issues, because that's pretty much how all gut issues start is that we have low stomach acid and we allow these things to set up camp and then they wreak havoc on the body. What we do know is that long-term use of, let's say things like Prilosec, Tums, all of these acid suppressing drugs reduces the secretion of hydrochloric acid. Okay. So basically you get to a place where you're either very low, very insufficient, or you have near zero hydrochloric acid. And there was actually a trial with 30 people that had GERD and they were treated with high doses of Prilosec, so 40 grams a day for at least three months. And 11 of those 30 uh, people had developed significant bacterial overgrowth compared to only one in 10 of the, the control group. And so this is a really big point because if these bacteria are allowed to thrive, we are we are hopes for these different strands of bacteria. It's also going to impact our immune system. It will impact yeast in the body as well. We have yeast all over. We have yeast in a lot of parts of our bodies, but we don't want it to overgrow. And in turn, this can also impact our thyroid. So let's talk about that um, because you know our immune system, 70% of your immune system lies in the gut. And there's several mechanisms that we have to kill these microorganisms. Again, the bacteria, viruses, fungus, parasites, things that enter in. Um, and so we're going to talk about the mechanisms of the immune system that we can, you know, we need to have in play in order to protect ourselves and ultimately stay healthy. Yeah. So the main mechanisms we're going to talk about are through cytokines and T cells. So cytokines are, the body basically produces these and they cause fevers, diarrhea, pain, runny nose. These reactions are used to kill microorganisms. It sounds like, why would I want cytokines if it's going to cause me diarrhea and fevers? <laughs> but you want cytokines. They're actually very important because it's basically the body's defense mechanism. It is, they they're kind of like inflammatory hormones. You actually get cytokines during your period as well. Um, there's certain cytokines that get released during your period, which for some people because of other inflammation within the body, they then experience PMS symptoms, bloating, cramps, stuff like that, because these cytokines are inflammatory in nature. Um, so for instance, the body creates fever to raise the temperature to kill invaders like bacteria and viruses. This is why in general, unless I really, unless like I really need to, I try not to give my kids um, fever reducers. So 
unless like they have something where they're very uncomfortable, the fever is really, really high. Like for example, with Taylor's teething and she has like a 99 or a hundred, I never give her Tylenol because that is your, her body's fever is basically a, a normal response that is meant to help kill things. If you are taking away that response, you can sometimes basically impair the immune system. So cytokines are powerful though, um, and their production needs to be brief and within a certain limit. Side note, when a cytokine malfunction occurs, cytokines can attack normal tissue. An example would be when someone has something like Ebola. Hopefully not many people are walking around with Ebola. But for example, if someone has Ebola, cytokines attack the blood vessel walls, which causes internal bleeding and can result in death. That's why, you know, I believe, what was it? What was that movie with the Ebola outbreak? And it had like the little monkey that was, do you know what I'm talking about? It was a long outbreak. I think might have been the name of the movie. Mm -hmm. It was from like the 90s. Anyways, what a good movie. It was a good movie. Um, So... (laughs) Random. Total distraction. Total distraction brain. Um, low stomach acid also can cause yeast overgrowth. So a low HCL level allows yeast overgrowth because of this low hydrochloric acid level, which weakens the T cells. I actually read something really interesting um, in terms of like there was a scientist who was looking at blood samples on you know a microscope, and he said that he walked away for like an hour. He came back. And there was candida, which is yeast overgrowth all over the blood sample because it was out. The blood sample was obviously outside of the body, outside of the immune system. If you don't have a strong immune system, you are basically a weakened host for all of these bacteria. And this is usually why people experience like that down downward cascade of symptoms because you become a weakened host. Guess what likes weakened hosts? Bacteria, parasites, overgrowth, things like that. And so low stomach acid can basically welcome yeast overgrowth. Um, So what does a low level of HCL mean for children? Um, Causes children to have more ear, nose, and throat infections. It can also cause asthma and skin issues like eczema. Um, So when we see someone kind of present with food allergies or sensitivities, the first thing we actually suspect is low stomach acids. Yeah. And we're seeing this more and more with a lot of our clients that come in that, you know, randomly take uh, Tums or PPIs or randomly have some of this, you know, breakthrough heartburn and acid reflux. And, you know, they have not intentionally reduced their stomach acid, but they definitely have not supported their body because, you know, they just don't have this information. That's why we want to bring this to light. And I know that you talked about, you know, the T cells. And I wanted to talk about this because again, these T cells are one of our first lines of defense with any microorganism that doesn't belong in the body. And so once T cells kill off enough microorganisms, the cytokine production stops. Because as Becca mentioned, right, we want it to be, you know, short term in terms of the cytokine uh, production. And if you have, again, weak T cells, um, cytokine production is prolonged and it's excessive. And this is not good. This is not healthy. Uh, We need normal T cell function. And in order for that to happen, we also must have adequate thyroid function and adequate stomach acid levels, um, adequate hydrochloric acid produced in the stomach. And if these things are lacking, uh, you know, we're at risk of viral infections, pneumonia, food poisoning, right? And if there is a bad, you know, reaction that takes place when someone has a low thyroid function and or low stomach acid function, they're going to have a weak uh, T cell response, which again, just means that they're not effective at fighting the incoming microorganisms the way that we should be. And if this goes on for long periods of time, it can lead to things like autoimmune conditions. And so it's just very important to 
make sure that what you are doing in your life is getting to the root cause of any of the symptoms. Because we also look at you know, food allergies or sensitivities, um, you know, as a sign that something is off, things are not going well. We also see anemia uh, present in a lot of our clients, B12 anemias, as well as iron anemias, low ferritin, we're not holding on to iron. And, you know, this is something that kind of goes hand in hand when stomach acid levels uh, are low. And of course, it's going to be, you know, dependent upon what you're consuming, the types of you know, foods you're consuming because you may just not be eating enough iron rich foods or B vitamin. Um, or again, you know, we have poor absorption of these nutrients and that goes back to stomach acid. So we have to look at like, how does this impact our overall health, not just digestion, right? If you're not having, you know, diarrhea or gas or bloating or that intra-abdominal pressure, or maybe even heartburn or GERD, there's still other reasons here why you need to make sure that stomach acid levels uh, are supported. And so Let's talk a little bit about how anemia can progress. This was very interesting as I was reading through this uh, in you know, preparation to record this podcast for you all. Uh, red blood cells are large when they are created. And as they mature, they actually shrink in size. So your vitamin B12 is needed for the red blood cells to mature and to shrink. Without vitamin uh, B12, your MCV, that mean corpuscular volume, value will rise. We talked about this in another podcast. Any MCV reading above 90 is pretty much um, you know, evidence that you have low stomach acid and that anemia uh, is evident. Yeah, it's it's so interesting. Like the like Liz and I have talked about before, the more we dive into all of this the more we learn. We don't know. Obviously, we don't know everything. Like I, That was a fun fact that I just learned. I knew that MCV being high can indicate low stomach acid, but now it's understanding the mechanism behind it. Um, so hopefully you guys maybe get excited and nerd it out as much as I do around science facts. Maybe not. Anyways, <laughs> so what else can kind of result from low stomach acid? Um, it causes maldigestion of carbohydrates. So stomach acid supports the digestion and absorption of carbs by stimulating the release of pancreatic enzymes into the small intestine. Okay. So if the pH of the stomach is too high due to insufficient stomach acid, these pancreatic enzymes, these are basically like how we break down and digest protein carbohydrates, fats, the food that we consume, our body creates enzymes to break those down and use them properly. So without enough stomach acid, your pancreatic enzymes will then not be secreted and the carbs in particular, which is what causes a lot of people um, symptoms, will not be broken down properly. So in Heartburn Cured, which is another, you know, the book that we were talking about, Dr. Rabillard points out that though microbes are able to metabolize proteins and even fats, their preferred energy source is carbohydrates. The fermentation of carbohydrates that haven't been digested properly produce gas. So the resulting gas increases intra-abdominal pressure, which is the driving force behind acid reflux and GERD. Okay. So another thing from the book, according to one research study, just 30 grams of carbohydrates that escapes absorption in a day can produce more than 10,000 milliliters of hydrogen gas. That is a lot of gas, guys, inside your body. If anyone knows anything deeper about SIBO, hydrogen and methane are the two types of gas that can be tested with SIBO testing. Um, 
So just something else to understand. When stomach acid is sufficient and carbohydrates are consumed in moderation, they are properly broken down into glucose and rapidly absorbed in the small intestine before they can be fermented by microbes. However, if the stomach acid is not there properly and or if carbohydrates are consumed in excess, some of the carbs can escape that absorption and become available for intestinal microbes to ferment. So we've talked about kind of moderating carbs a lot of times on the podcast for different reasons especially if you are symptomatic. Your body uses carbs for a lot of things. Necessarily, it does not need carbohydrates. Yes, they're important. There's fiber to them. There's a lot of benefits to carbohydrates and different nutrients that you get from them. But your body needs and can utilize that protein, those amino acids, the essential fatty acids. Those two pieces are very important to your digestion. So there is some other supporting evidence to this as well. Um, Dr. Robillard also argues that if ga- if gas produced by microbial fermentation of carbs causes acid reflux, we might accept, expect that reflux could be treated by either reducing bacterial overgrowth or reducing carbohydrates. So he points to two studies that demonstrate this. Um, In a study by Pale, administration of an antibiotic significantly decreased esophageal reflux. In another study, that same antibiotic strengthened the defective lower esophageal sphincter in patients with acid reflux. So to my knowledge, there have only been two small trials performed to test the effects of carb restriction on GERD. Both had positive results. So a small case series showed a significant, almost immediate resolution of GERD symptoms in obese individuals initiating that very low-carb diet. And a more recent study found that a very low-carb diet decreased distal esophagus acid exposure and improved the symptoms of GERD. So perhaps most importantly, the magnitude of the improvement was similar to what has been reported with treatment of proton pump inhibitors. And so do you need to remove carbs forever? Not necessarily. But if you are extremely symptomatic and you are looking for relief, it is very helpful to take away the source of food and the source of essentially like fermentation to these bacterial overgrowths. And that is what carbohydrates are. Yeah. And I think that's an any gut healing journey, right? When we look at candida, for example, the type of yeast, obviously that feeds off of sugar, um, which comes from carbohydrates. And so really depends upon, you know, what is the root cause? What else is going on? This is why we also talk about, you know, not DIYing your health and saying, oh, I'm just going to take this probiotic or I'm going to take this gut supplement that I saw, you know, on the (laughs) interweb uh, because it may make things worse. And so I want to talk, you know, before we wrap up here about some symptoms, um, because there are a lot of symptoms that can kind of be indicators of low stomach acid. And, you know, when we look at just the stats for reflux, over 60 million people experience reflux at least once a month. And so if you are having, you know, reflux and it's, you know, not chronic, but it is, you know, popping up here nor there, it's persistent. Of course, you can look at foods that can be triggering, of course, spicy foods, right? Things that are very acidic, but at the end of the day, you should still be able to, you know, have those foods as part of your diet. This is, you know, one of the things that we say is not a food problem. It's a function problem. There's an issue, you know, that's underlying as the root cause because, I enjoy spicy foods. I don't want to give them up. I enjoy fermented foods. I don't want to ha- you know, have to avoid those things. Um, and so again, you have to look at what's the root cause. So as we've kind of talked about, there can be you know, some telltale signs here of low stomach acid, right? Heartburn and reflex, obviously 
are at the top of the list, but bloating in the higher stomach region. So not, you know, typically where people say, Oh, I feel so bloated. And it's that lower belly region uh, below your belly button. This would be higher, um, you know, up towards your chest belching after meals. You have loose stools after eating, you could have vertical ridges in your fingernails. A lot of people will say, you know, I have, um, adversions to different types of protein, or I feel really full quickly after eating meat again one of the jobs of stomach acid is to help you denature protein and turn it into amino acids. So this would make sense. You bring stomach acid levels up to a place that they should be. And now you feel better eating protein and you don't have this heaviness and, you know, kind of feeling tired, but there's some other things. And I'm just going to go through some of these very quickly. Uh, this is kind of a, a list of symptoms. And if you check a lot of these off, then what you need to do is come back for part three, uh, where we're going to talk about ways to kind of naturally support stomach acid levels, but more importantly, consider maybe I hire somebody that can help me, um, you know, discover what's the root cause. Why am I having all of these symptoms? Because these are symptoms um, connected to low stomach acid, but it doesn't also mean that it's the only reason why you're experiencing these symptoms. Okay. So um, SIBO, as Becca was just talking about, leaky gut, uh, headaches, having low white blood cell counts, um, you know, excessive burping or nausea after eating. You're seeing undigested food in your stool. You are chronically you know, tired or you're hitting like that three o'clock, I've got to take a nap, uh, crash, allergies. This is huge. Uh, asthma as well. I've been posting on my, you know, Instagram stories, just this other book that I was reading talking about asthma in kids and allergies and how it's related to, you know, B12 deficiencies and, you know, a, a low stomach acid, um, you know, or insufficient stomach acid, I should say, uh, weight gain, diabetes, autoimmune diseases, just in general here. So we're looking at Crohn's, Hashimoto's, you name it, IBS, IBD. Uh, those are kind of like your catch-all, uh, you know, diagnoses when the GI doc can't figure out what's going on. Um, we also strain our liver. So reduced liver function or, you know, more, uh, burden on our liver, hair loss, iron deficiency, chronic infections, acne, eczema, ulcers, malnutrition. You guys, this all comes down to malnutrition, right? We're deficient. We're deficient in B12. We're deficient in iron. We might be consuming the best diet, but we're not actually digesting and absorbing the best diet. And so, you know, thinking about this, as we know now the importance of it, what we'd ask for you to do is really start to pay attention and evaluate some of these things. Um, because again, it does impact you know, a lot of other things health-wise. It's not just a digestive uh, function issue. It is, if we don't have enough stomach acid, we are then malnourished. We're not absorbing these things. And a supplement, a simple supplement uh, can sometimes help. You know, a lot of these books that were referencing these doctors that we've talked about in the you know first two episodes here do talk about using betanine HCL and pepsin and so forth. But some of them, you know, it, sometimes it can be contraindicated if somebody's dealing with H. pylori, for, you know, let's say we need to get rid of H. pylori first. Now we rebuild the stomach acid level because hand in hand with H. pylori is often other types of you know, things going on such as candida or parasites. And this is very common. And so we just want to bring light to this uh, for you because again, just because your poop might be normal doesn't mean that things are optimal. Yeah. The crazy thing that we've seen is that some of the people that have the fewest symptoms actually have the worst digestive situations when we actually test um, people that, you know, maybe have some other symptoms going on or, have like bouts here and there, but for the most part, they feel okay. Um, 
when we actually get testing done, it's like so much is going on. I'm I think that Liz and I both need to do a podcast talking through our test results and our protocols that we've been through just to kind of give you guys an idea. Liz and I are not optimal health. I mean, like it's in my opinion, it's impossible to be optimal health, to be honest. Um, but maybe get, let you guys know, like we struggle with things too. Um, you know, we, we do a lot for our bodies. Um, and there's still areas healing opportunities that we have, um, which I'm, I'm very excited to kind of share with once we go through this process that we're in right now. Um, cause her and I both did another round of labs and have some protocols following those labs. Um, but don't think that just because you don't have like specific digestive symptoms where you're only pooping once every four days, or, you know, you're constantly having loose stools that, that things are totally fine. Um, especially if you have other symptoms like joint pain, mm. headache, um, you know, bad periods, spotting, all of those different things can be other yeah. indicators, even though they aren't specifically digestive related. Yeah. I mean, and we're seeing this, you know, across the board with a lot of clients that come in or even just, you know, friends or family that I've spoken with that they have all of these other symptoms that the doctors are not even correlating to the fact that it's low stomach acid is part of the root cause, not just, you know, it's not usually just one thing, but, you know, again, as we talked about allergies, asthma, PMS, headaches, mm -hmm. all of these things, those are kind of unrelated to heartburn, reflux, diarrhea, constipation, right? Bloated oh, yeah. or gas. And so again, most people kind of overlook this. This is in fact, one of the first places that we're starting with a lot of uh, the clients that we work with, because there's always room to optimize, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and we've even gotten to a place in our practice where I was uh, just talking, you know, with one of our clients earlier, I said, I'd love to run a GI map on you because we're not taking on clients anymore without it. It's so helpful. Um, just because again, as practitioners, when we're working with somebody, we don't want to just help you feel good. I want you to feel amazing. I want you to really uh, thrive and have confidence and, you know, not feel like, oh, I'm like a five out of six. You know, I want you to be a nine or a 10 out of 10 most days, depending upon what's yeah. happening in your life, right? With kids and stress and whatnot. But I think, you know, Becca and I would both tell you very transparently, I don't have a lot of symptoms going on. I'm, I feel really mm -hmm. good but am I a nine out of 10 or a 10 out of 10 every day? And my answer right now is no. Uh, and so that's why I'm continuing to dive in and, and um, you know, see what else we can do to optimize. And so we just hope that you guys will uh, take this information to heart. If you need us, we are here for you. Feel free to reach out uh, and then stay tuned because next Monday we're going to be covering in part three, things that you can do to support stomach acid levels naturally, Obviously, we're just sharing this as educational information, no specific protocols, as that's each you know person uh, independent and very bio-individual. But we'll also talk about ways you can test your stomach acid levels uh, and give you some tips. If you are somebody who's been on a PPI, uh, you know, one of the things that you can be doing to get yourself off of that and restore stomach acid levels. So have a great Wednesday. Talk to you on Friday. Thank you for listening to The Food Code. If this episode resonated with you, please share, rate, and review as this helps us reach others around the world. With that, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Love you guys.